everybody. I'm Katie. And I'm Rhiannon. And welcome to Haunting Cases. banter about i never know what to banter about it usually just ends up being a story of what has happened to me in the last five days <laughs> <laughs> i will say that while we were recording the last episode i was creeping myself out well i also i guess creeped you out rubbing my uh my cord to my oh headphones <laughs> but i also creeped myself out because I didn't realize my, I still don't completely know what it was I was doing, but my chair was either rubbing up against my desk or it might have been my, uh, my lap board for my laptop on the floor, but I was rubbing up against something and with the headphones on, I couldn't completely hear the noise. So I just heard like a rough scuffling noise and I could tell it was nearby. So I kept like looking around like what's near me. There's no dogs in this room and not thinking about the fact that I was moving my chair back and forth. You're for you to listen to for your entertainment (laughs) yes just me screaming in the background live action murder (laughs) here's some true crime in the moment Uh... well it doesn't help that my mom like called me on her way home today because she was coming back from uh, Pahrump and she called me on her way back and she's like driving through at like 8 9 p.m. ish and she drove past the house, and I heard the car. I was like, is she stopping? Because she said that she had, like, vegan gluten-free cheesecake for me, which doesn't sound good to you guys, but when you don't have very many options to eat, that sounds amazing. <laughs> um, and she calls me, and she's like, just a heads up. I'm like, oh, God. There's a man walking up your street dressed all in black. I'm looking up to no good. Are your doors locked? I'm like, I have a freaking window open. It's just cracked to let the EVAP, like, <laughs> suck the hot air out. So now it's hot as balls in my computer room again. But immediately she's like, are all your windows and doors locked? And I locked that window as fast as I could. And I'm like, fresh air is for dead people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I went around the house real quick and made sure that everything else was locked. Like, I stuck a screwdriver into the mechanism for the garage door just to make sure that it's not going to go up or anything. And I came oh, back here, I'm yeah. like, and now I'm going to listen to a creepy story and I'm just going to be paranoid <laughs> all evening. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm sure me rubbing my cord didn't help that situation. Yeah, I was just like, I kept looking over my shoulder, I'm like, what all do I have in here? And I like, I closed the door at one point when Salem came back in, I was just like, I'm just going to close this, because if something happens out there, I need to be prepared in here to rumble. (laughs) Or hide out and call the cops. Probably the second option, but being ready to rumble isn't exactly a bad thing either. Uh, Real life.
life lessons from Katie on how to protect <laughs> yourself from true crime. <laughs> from oh true God. crime. Uh, so oh yeah, no, I was like, I kept looking over my shoulder. I'm like, is it happening? <laughs> is it happening? <laughs> no, just me over here trying to unintentionally freak you out. <laughs> well, at one point it sounded like you rubbed it just right, that it sounded like somebody like dragging their hand down the wall. I was like, Ugh. Why? <laughs> Out of all the things you could do to scare me, you could, like, throw a water bottle at me. There's one sitting in the hall because I'm too lazy to pick it up right now. There's one sitting in the hall. I'm like, you could just chuck that at me. But no, it's the scraping of the nails down my wall. <laughs> I'm just like, no, that's, that's not cool. Like, I'm pretty chill with my ghosts. I know when they're messing with me. I don't get freaked out too much. Contrary to the belief on the podcast, I don't get freaked out by much. <laughs> but <laughs> there are things that make me uncomfortable, obviously. But I'm like, really? You're going to do that? Out of all the other options that you had, you went with the nails, like, on the chalkboard, just on my drywall. I'm like, Ugh. Speaking of ghostly encounters, <laughs> let's let's rewind to yesterday evening. Granted, you're hearing this a week, two weeks, two weeks into the future. When I was doing the edits for the rest house, and mind you, I was up until like four in the morning. And I'm walking back and forth between my bedroom to the office because it's a split house. And I'm making sure that everything's downloading correctly. And finalizing per se so i'm coming back in and back and forth because it's scientifically proven if you watch something it's not going to do the thing that it's supposed to do it is a scientific like proven fact that if you watch water boil it's going to boil slower i can't remember what the phenomenon is called but i know it's real so I was just like, okay, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to let it do its thing. I'm going to go watch some TikToks. And I'm walking back and forth. And at one point, I'm sitting in here, and it's just getting ready to, like, finish off finalization for the video that I put on YouTube. And I'm like, okay, cool beans. I got my headphones off. I'm rocking out. I'm listening to, I think, Christina Perry at that point, like, I'm listening to, like, Twilight music, okay? <laughs> I'm having the best time of my life, and I hear something fall, to which I'm like, okay, what the hell is that? So I come walking out into the kitchen, and I'm like, did Salem fall again? Because she's already taken a digger in the house and, like, hurt herself. So I'm like, did she fall again? I hope she's okay. No, Kat's still out cold in the bed in the bedroom. Exactly where I left her. I'm like, okay. So I come walking back out, and I'm checking the kitchen. I'm like, did anything fall in here? And as I come walking out of my pantry, in my ear, of all places, a woman whispers, you're not supposed to be awake. <laughs> to which I'm like, yeah, I know that. Thank you. <laughs> I continue on my merry way back to the office. I'm like, you better be done finalizing. I want to go to bed. Me and my ghosts both know that I'm not supposed to be wandering at four in the morning. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, but I'm like, I feel like it was meant to like scare me and it, it did a good job of creeping me out. I wasn't ready for it, but I'm just like, Oh no, that's not what I want. <laughs> 
just, you're not supposed to be awake. I'm like, I know that. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> uh, thanks for the heads up. I already figured that one out. We figured that one out. It was probably my Nana, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Considering it was right at that spot, because unfortunately she did pass away in the house. Both my grandparents did. Um... It was right at the spot where she would have been laying, like, during the, like, last few stages of her cancer treatment when I have to, like, come over and help her with, um, her kidney bags. And she had done something to me when I was, like, doing that where she reached over the sofa and, like, grabbed my head and went, hi, Katie. At, like, two in the morning when I was doing this. <laughs> she, she scared the life out of me. I thought she was asleep. <laughs> so I would not put it past her to be like, you're not supposed to be awake. And I'm just like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so keep your ear holes open so you might hear an EVP caught before we ever do an actual haunted location because my house is definitely haunted. oh man we're just full of surprises over here we are (laughs) i will give you guys a quick little rundown that we are going to be doing something new today um we are going to be doing something a little bit like both sidesy but more historically based and still kind of fits into that haunting scenario if you want to call it that, we <laughs> today we are talking about medieval torture methods. It's like historical true crime. I feel historical like historical true crime ish. It is crime that has truly happened in history. <laughs> yes, yes, and it's very chilling and very haunting. So if you're listening to this before you go to bed, I suggest not. Maybe. Uh, Might lead to some weird dreams. I know I'm going to have them tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah, wait, waiting for the weird dreams. <sighs> yeah. While we understand that some individuals listen for the entertainment aspect of true crime, it's important to remember that these are real people with families and friends who may still be suffering from their loss. These stories are not meant to open old wounds or cause further emotional damage to those involved. We remind you to please be respectful, do not dox, or contact those involved with cases. While paranormal occurrences and urban legends may be sources of tourism, please be considerate if you visit one of these locations. Do not engage in trespassing and be sure to ask for permission if you plan on recording. Be aware of your surroundings and travel safely. The cases discussed in this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we will be discussing cases involving sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual assault, please reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. 
Now, back to the show. all yours me if you want to give us some brief history sure so we're gonna be covering torture methods and tools used in the middle ages period which is about the 5th century to the 15th century however some of these tools continue to be used past that time period and some of them may have even originated before that time period but we're covering ones that were at least used during that time or believed to be uh, now there's a a diversity of different types of torture tools and methods. There's so, so, so much out there. Uh, so actually, this might turn into a little side series where we might do one of these episodes every now and then if you listeners enjoy this. But yeah. uh, one interesting thing when it comes to types of torture and how many different kinds there is, it really indicates how much time men have thought about how humans can suffer and how creatively you can make a human suffer and so it basically put simply like they could have stopped at the the simple ways to torture someone that were already there but they continued inventing new ways and new tools to do so so it's definitely, unfortunately, something that has been utilized a lot historically and is a, a major issue when it comes to crime. It, it, it's been used in what we would now consider in modern day a lot of hate crimes against people of specific religions. Historically, off, um, in some of the cases I'll talk about today, uh, they were used a lot against Protestants. Often it would be used if the victim was committed of heresy against the established church of that time and region, but it could also be used to try to force religious conversion upon people, to try to get them to change their religion to match the dominant religion of that time. And the Inquisition, uh, during the Inquisition, thousands and thousands of people were tortured under the reasoning of heresy or conversion, however, inquisitors often tortured more for their own personal gain, as by doing so, they would often acquire the estates and wealth of their victims when they were tortured to death. So it wasn't just for uh, hate crimes against certain religions, they also would get material gains by engaging in this violence, unfortunately. It was also used to as a way to gain confessions from people, and, 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 and during the Middle Ages, for much of it, a confession during torture did not actually hold legal strength, and so for a while it was actually contended that the victim had to confess again within 24 hours while not being tortured. However, if they did not confess again, they were usually tortured more to get another confession. <laughs> Ugh. And then one thing that really reminded me of Salem Witch Trials kind of situation was that torture would sometimes be used to actually decide a court ruling. There was an example in which torture would be used on a person and then they would see how long it took them to heal and recover from it and that would be the deciding factor in if they were guilty or not. So historically it's also been used... Not just to gain confessions, but also to actually make court rulings in criminal cases. And it 
and along the line of confessions, I also wanted to add, it also could be used to try to figure out who their accomplices were, who assisted in the crime, um, or in the aspect that often these were not crimes people were being tortured for. Like I said, it could be hate crimes against people of certain religions. It could be trying to get them to confess who else belongs to that same religion or belongs to that same demographic that they're trying to go after. And unfortunately, it was used as a punishment for crime. And when I say crime, I mean what was considered crime at the time. So we will cover some of those things today that in modern day, at least in the United States, is not considered crime anymore, but back then was considered criminal acts. And uh, regardless of what type of crime it was, often public displays of torture would be used as a way to try to prevent future crime from happening, as a way of scaring people into basically the, you don't want to do this really bad thing or else this is what's going to happen to you. Generally speaking, the, the worse the crime committed, the more intense the torture would be. However, punishments could be very severe by modern day standards in which even minor crimes, such as a child stealing food, could result in execution or torture. Uh, and one last thing I wanted to mention before we start digging into some specifics about different kinds of torture is that some types of torture were actually reserved for specific sexes in medieval England. It, some examples that I read were that men were often hanged as punishment, while women were often put in the drowning pit as punishment. So those are not, uh, at least the drowning pit is not one I'm going to be covering today. And there will be some mentioning of hanging, uh, but that's something to think about as well is sometimes certain torture tools or techniques would be reserved for specific sexes as well, or even specific demographics outside of sexes. Again, it could be reserved for people of certain religion or certain standing in society. So yes, lots to think about when it comes to looking at t torture in a historical uh, view. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that, Katie, before we dive into some methods and tools? Well, you got me curious about the drowning pit, so I'm kind of sad I'm not hearing about it today, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is that? Um, yeah, as far as, like, coercions go when it comes to um, torture and, like, people being tortured to get a confession out, like, we saw that happening with... Possibly even Elizabeth Bathory's case, because the servants mm, were tortured yeah. until they actually spoke out about it. So there, there are many different styles where that comes in, especially like the more prevalent ones that you hear about are probably the witch trials, whether that be with, I believe it was King James's witch hunt, or even when it comes to the Salem witch trials, there was some torturous acts that happened, especially like... For example, Giles Quarry, who was pressed until his confession came true. Mm. <sighs> yeah, and as always with our our topics, especially the true crime topics, you know, we try to have fun on the podcast and have a good time, make it enjoyable, but these are real life things that happen to real life people, and so we do want to take it really seriously. Uh, it is something, most of these are things that, uh, of course, we're discussing things from the Middle Ages, so it's, it was a long time ago, and things have changed nowadays where a lot of 
things, like I said, that were once considered crimes are no longer considered crimes in at least a lot of the first world, or um, in a lot of countries like the United States. Uh, but there's still lots out there, but we, we're definitely focusing today on the, the Middle Ages and what was going on historically uh, in farther past time periods. <laughs> But like I said, even though there's a little bit of separation in that manner, where it's it's the kind of things you see in the movies a lot, it's the kind of things you see in TV series, and often are dramatic, dramatized. Uh, it was real things that happened to real people, so we do want to take this very seriously as well, and uh, not as Katie mentioned as well. A lot of them are going to be very disturbing. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so Imagine keep that thing. in mind as well as you are listening to this episode. If it may not be one for the faint of heart, so. So I'm starting off first, yeah? Yep. Alright, so the first method that I found very interesting and I grabbed right away, hoping that you didn't, was <laughs> <laughs> buried alive. So Ugh. this was a premature burial that was practiced in the early like 212th um, BCE, the Before Common Era. era. And this was the earliest recorded, documented, like, case of being buried alive. It took place in China, and it was a punishment for female adulterers under the rule of Queen Marguerite I, who reigned from 1387 to 1412 Common Era in Denmark. And it also took place in Russia until 1689 and was a punishment for anyone who murdered their husband. This method of torture is exactly what it sounds like. The individual who is intended to receive this punishment would be placed in an enclosed space and then buried into the ground. Ugh. Yeah. The usual way the victim would pass would be from asphyxiation after a duration of time passed due to the buildup of their own carbon dioxide in the small space. There are cases, though, where if an individual was buried correctly or in a certain way, they'd be able to breathe. And that kind of leads into the second one that I grabbed, which was mainly because I chose to do Buried Alive first, but... It is immerment or entombment. And this is the process in which an individual would be placed inside a closed space with no exits and sealed within it. When used as a form of execution, the individual was left in the area to die of starvation or dehydration. When used as a form of torture, the individual would be walled in and a small hole would be left to where they could receive food and water through. In some cases, food and water would be provided for a certain amount of time and then they would go without food or water for a certain amount of time to prolong suffering before eventually being completely cut off from it. And we actually saw this in one of our cases not too long ago. If the yeah. rumors are true that Elizabeth Bathory was basically entombed in her bedroom until she passed, only receiving food or water through a small hole at the entryway. If that rumor is true. 
Now, there are multiple records and rumors of this method being used in Europe, Asia, and Africa. In fact, I found it very commonly used in Europe, but that might just be because there was a lot going on in Europe and a lot of documentation. There's a lot of documentation in Asia, too, don't get me wrong, but there was a lot of documentation of torture in Europe specifically. However, there is a case that I have heard of that has actual archaeological findings behind it versus the rumors of Elizabeth Bathory that I don't know if it's like more fascinating or horrifying to me but I still like it but it is of the Vestal Virgins of Rome and the Vestal Virgins were women that were entrusted to guard Rome's sacred flame of Vesta who is the Roman goddess of health and home in the waning years of the first century after death or after uh, common era or beginning of common era, a young woman by the name of Cornelia was working as one of the six Vestal Virgins at the time, and she was accused of breaking her vow of chastity, to which she was sentenced to death by the Roman Emperor Domitian, who reigned from 81 to 96 AD. She was dragged to an underground chamber just inside of the city walls and buried alive. Ugh. Yeah. While her alleged lovers were hung upon forks and beaten to death in the forum, and they were left there to hang for a certain amount of time to give passers-by that discretionary warning that this isn't something that you want to do. Um, it was documented by a lawyer at this time, one Pliny the Younger, and I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but I, I could not find a correct pronunciation guide regarding his name. He lived between 61 to 112 AD, and he found that the priestess was most likely innocent of the accusation laid upon her, and that the execution was merely a way for the emperor to demonstrate his vigorous, tyrannical justice. Ugh. Oh my gosh. Right? Ugh. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's just, ugh. It's just like, victim of not, potentially not even committing the crime, and then even if she did, the crime of breaking her vow of chastity, it's just like, oh, what a way to go for such a thing. Yeah. Ugh. And it's like, it's not just like in areas I listed that this happened. Like, this is something that, like, obviously we've seen in movies, we've seen in horror franchises many times. I think one of the ones that, like, still gets me to this day is Interview with the Vampire when they wall him inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> down down in, like, the bunker area while the other two are left to, like, burn and he just has to hear their screams. Oh, God. Like, I could not imagine being in a tiny enclosed space. It's dark, and you don't get anything other than the company of your own thoughts until you die. Oh, oh man, yeah. And then just the slow death of dehydration or starvation as well. Yeah. Which is not a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well... <laughs> You pulled your lips so tight that I could barely see them move. And I was like, oh, did she freeze again? 
know we both looked into the coffin tortures, which kind of sort of relates, so should I jump into that now, or should I hop into one of the other topics, and you can which, cover that one a little bit later? <laughs> Whichever one you feel more comfortable with, you're... You you definitely get the coffin one. I I've got I've got three others, so I'm good. We're good. Okay, cool. <laughs> then I will go ahead and jump into that one since I feel like it is uh, somewhat related to that. Alrighty. So next, we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about coffin torture. This was a common form of torture in the Middle Ages across uh, many, many different areas, including Europe and Asia and even other parts of the world. Uh, Very highly preferred, I read, and it involves either being placed in either a small metal or wooden cage about the size of a human body, which would then be usually strung up to what's called a, a gibbet structure, similar to a gallows or to a tree. Now, this cage is fitted to the human body and often very tight-fitting, so this would especially be extreme, even more torturous for victims who were on the more overweight side as they would be forced into these small cages. But even for victims who could fit into the cages relatively well, it was still extremely uncomfortable being close- I mean, not having any room to move, as you can imagine, and- being in the that close quarters aspect, I, I guess the difference here is at least you'd have free-flowing air and could see and whatnot. You're not in a dark, enclosed space, but you still are basically closed in. And then this also removes your ability to defend yourself from an angry mob, which would often throw rocks and sharp objects at you until you were severely injured or, di- or ended up dying. At this point, the the body would ended up being left out again as a, like, in the Katie's last example, as a way to deter anyone from committing such crimes that would result in this as birds and rats and insects would come to feed on the body, and it would be very horrific, I'm sure. The other thing that could happen in terms of coffin tortures, instead of allowing the crowd to throw sharp objects and things at the victim, they could instead take a form of exposure torture, where they're just left out naked in the elements within this cage, and whether that's hot, a hot summer day, or more of a very brutal cold winter, being exposed to freezing temperatures and snow and ice, But regardless, within three days, that's all it takes for someone to die of dehydration. So they wouldn't be getting any water or food, generally speaking, and would be left out in the elements and potentially left to the cruelties of other people who may may harm them for the crime they have done. Now, as far as actual historical records of some times where this was used. I was able to dig up a couple. These are actually after the medieval time period, but not too far after in terms of centuries, I suppose. Uh, So there was the highwayman John Whitfield, who was known to terrorize part of England for quite a while. So when he was finally captured, he was sentenced on August 12, 1768 to endure coffin torture and was left to die uh, from exposure. 
And there's also an instance in which a Scottish man named Captain William Kidd, who was a privateer hired to defend English ships from piracy in 1695, his crew ended up capturing uh, the, I'm totally probably gonna butcher the ship name, the Quidog Merchant Ship. And it's dis it's been disputed as to whether he was actually directly involved or not, if he approved of this, or if it was more the crew that did this, and then after the fact, he realized that this ship was not a pirate ship, and released it immediately. But in any case, soon after this happened, he also went and visited St. Mary's in Madagascar, which apparently was known as a place where pirates went off to, and so people basically just believed he had turned to pirate piracy that he was now going after ships and stealing other goods like the pirates he had gone after for so long and had become a pirate himself. So he was arrested in July of 1699, and the Parliament of England ended up sentencing him to death, at which point he was executed on May 23rd, 1701. Again, this is another instance after the Middle Ages. Uh, he was first hanged, so in this case... Uh, it wasn't so much torture in terms of being placed in the coffin as just a way to scare other members of the public from committing the same crime as the body was placed in a cage on the River Thames and uh, left out there for any passerby to see. However, there is records, like I said earlier, that these were used all over the world, and this does include North America uh, when it was still under British rule as well as shortly after in 1815 when some Cuban pirates were placed in uh, these open coffin-like cages in New York. However, one important thing to note was the 17th century and prior, so that includes Middle Ages and Medieval Times, that would have been more of the live coffin torture type of style where somebody was placed in it alive and tortured in that regard and had to die of exposure or having things thrown at them. Whereas in the 18th and 19th centuries, these tools were more used to display bodies to scare people from becoming criminals as opposed to actually using them for torture. But yeah, I, this one jumped out at me. I specifically picked it out just because I feel like I've seen the very birdcage-like coffins hanging in a lot of like movies that take place in that time period, as well as video games that take place in that time period. And I always just thought it was more of a dramatic kind of invention, that they made it up just to make it look scarier. I didn't realize it was an actually thing that happened, so yeah, that's like why Pirates I- Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. I think you can see it a couple of times in there. I think Assassin's so. Yeah, there's definitely multiple movies and shows that have used And like I said, even video games, I've seen them use it. Yeah, so it was definitely something that was an eye-opener for me that, oh, this was an actual torture method that they used. But yeah, do you have anything to add to that one, Katie, before you go on to one of your topics? I don't think so. Cool. Alrighty. So the next one that I have because lovely Ree did the research <laughs> is um, Iron Maiden and I wanted to do this one because you had mentioned how in the coffin incident that like they were left to the elements at time and that's commonly what killed people with the Iron Maiden yeah. so 
Once believed to be a fictional device invented for entertainment, however, proof of it was surely found. A standing sarcophagus with spikes aligning the inside, strategically placed to insert into the eyes and vital organs of a victim when the doors are shut and the victim was inside. The spikes were short, thus causing injury and bleeding, but not immediate death. Thus, it would take hours for the victim to bleed to death. And has multiple names, including the Iron Maiden of Nuremberg, and the Virgin Jungifer in German. Oh, it's German Jungifer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is this word? <laughs> Jungifer. Okay. Uh, one in Spain was designed to look like the Virgin Mary and had machinery that allowed her to her victims and tighten the spikes to the victim oh gosh yeah. just adding on to this i know that there's other iron maiden-esque torture methods too where they didn't have the spikes in there but it just simply locked shut oh and gosh. you were just left out in the sun in the streets to endure whatever was coming your way whether that be cold icy water from rain in winter or like a hot summer's day similar to the coffin incident that you had mentioned i was like i wonder if she's got the iron maiden on this list so i had to go scrolling back up real quick and i was like i'm gonna check with her make sure she's not covering that but i was like oh that's a good one to talk about oh yeah that's definitely a big name one that uh you, another one you see in a lot of the movies especially is like a big just fancy looking prop for all the medieval castles and stuff mm -hmm. but no it's definitely very impressive looking and also horrifying at the same time uh so yeah <laughs> definitely a big torture one <laughs> all right also well. i'm not entirely sure if i pronounced that german word correctly <laughs> I could just read it pretty well, but I'm like, my pronunciation skills when it comes to speaking a secondary language absolutely blow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try really hard to look up pronunciations for everything, and then even with the pronunciations I've looked up, I'm still like, I don't know if I'm saying all these words right. <laughs> so we apologize, listeners, if we butcher some of these words, especially if they're in other languages. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> As you learned with the the Hungarian countess herself. God, how many, how many words did I mispronounce in there? Oh, man. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and move on to my next one. This one was actually suggested to me by someone I know. So let's talk about the choke pair. I actually had never heard about this until today. So uh, <laughs> it was an experience for me. It's also commonly referred to as the pair of anguish. And so if you could imagine a metal device that's shaped like a pear, it's made up of four metal leaves with a hinge at the top of the pear and a key or crank on the end of it. And often the petals had spikes attached to them as well. So, <laughs> how it was utilized in terms of torture is depending on the crime, it would be inserted into a particular orifice of the human body. 
whether that's the vagina, the anus, or the throat. If someone was committed of being a heretic, they would have it placed in their mouth. If they were caught as a homosexual, which was a crime for, I should have looked up the year it was no longer a crime in the US. Like It's ridiculous for how long that was a crime in the United States and in Britain. Uh, but yes, homosexuality was a crime, so in that if you were caught as a homosexual or suspected of homosexuality, it was placed in the anus. And then if you were suspected of being a witch, it was placed in the vagina. I'm sorry, I'm scrolling where? I, I was distracted <laughs> by the cat. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> also placed vaginally for women who were found to have purposefully miscarried. I thought I'd read somewhere as well for female females who engaged in adultery, but I might be mixing that up with another torture method. But that was another thing I read was that uh, females who engaged in adultery uh, also often had uh, more sexual-related torture stra- uh, techniques, <laughs> tools, <laughs> In any case, as the key or crank was turned, the leaves would open up more and more, which would cause incredible internal damage and pain to the victim. This would lead to injury, but it was not lethal in itself. However, depending on which researcher you speak to, some believed it was more intended to stretch and tear the skin, uh, leading to immense pain more so than actual damage, because if one thing that was brought up is that if it really did cut a lot, it would lead to so much blood loss that then there would be a chance it would be lethal or it wouldn't have as much prolonged suffering, which was often the goal of torture. So it was believed that perhaps that wasn't the goal so much to cause bleeding as so much to just cause absolute pain. However, it was often used in combination with other forms of torture. So not just by itself. Now, on the flip side, I did want to bring this up. Some researchers actually believe this was not a torture device at all, but rather just a gag that was often used to prevent victims from calling for help, that robbers would actually use this. And some state there's not enough evidence that it was ever used for torture, where there is for sure records and evidence that this was used as a gag for victims of robberies. The earliest record of it being used in such a manner was in 1639, in which a book mentioned a well-known thief, Goshiro de Polioli. <laughs> Can I apologize if I totally butchered that name? Who used it to rob wealthy people, and basically it was just an utterly terrifying gag because it could be placed in the mouth and, of course, widened, so... That in itself is terrifying, the fact that it could potentially be used for torture. But also because some models you could detach the key and leave the pair in the mouth, and it could not then be removed without the key, so it was a great way for criminals to basically torture people into, or convince people into showing them where their gems were, or their riches that they had hidden away somewhere, because they would not be able to have this removed from their mouth until the criminal provided them with a key. 
it's likely based on records that this did not exist before the 17th century. Some researchers argue just based on written records, in which case this would not have been a torture device that could have even been used in the Middle Ages since it wouldn't have even been around. Uh, however, I know, uh, I mean, I'm not ex expert, but I know like a lot of records were lost over time, especially from the Middle Ages. So many wars and fires and things have happened. We've lost a lot of records. So I would also argue just because there's not a written record for something doesn't mean necessarily that it, it did not exist before a certain period since it's so easy for paper records to be destroyed. Um. Uh, However, like I said, it's a contested issue. Some researchers do believe that this was a torture device, while others believe that this was simply used for thievery. And I should mention it was not only used, and I believe that that first thief was in France. It was not only used in France, but it was also recorded as being used in Holland and other parts of Europe. And there was even a mention of it being used in North America in the 19th century. However, it was stated that the American version was supposedly not as cruel. One other thing to mention when it comes to trying to decide if this was a torture device or not is the Australian historian Chris Bishop specifically studied the pair and found that it actually opens up using a spring and the screw is used to close it rather than to crank it open and that the latch that holds it shut likely couldn't be unlatched to allow for it to open if it had been put into any sort of orifice other than the mouth. And so based on that, the historian believed that there was no way this could have been a torture device. It definitely could be a gag or some sort of tool, but just the way it operates, it didn't seem like it would work as a tool, as a torture device. It also, um, he mentioned that the spring appeared too weak to do any sort of significant damage. If it was attempted to be used as a torture device, it probably wouldn't do enough damage to really be effective as a torture device. Uh, but again, just food for thought, something to think over. It, and one important note that that historian did make that I found particularly interesting was that Torture may not have been as common as believed back then, and that a lot of stories have been invented for the entertainment of people in more recent history, talking about more 19th, 20th, and 21st century, uh, often, especially in the 18th and 19th century, to make people believe that we are more civilized now than we were back then. And so that's something to think about as well. Um, and I mean, that even goes for like the paranormal side of things that sometimes, like back in the day, they would construct um fake cryptid animals by combining two different forms of animals together in like a stuffed animal situation you know there's all sorts of things that people would do to make money off of entertainment so this could be a, a one argument was brought up was this could be another one of those things where nobody knew what this tool did but it looked horrific and if you imagine all the things that could it could be done <laughs> with um, that that may have led to thinking it was a torture device when it really was not. Very good. Well, I will continue on with the torturous method of flaying, or known as skinning. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was what I told Katie earlier. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not touching that. That's too much for me. I'll leave I that got you. you. It's fine. I got it. Here we go. <laughs> so, this is a torture or execution method 
where the skin of a victim would gradually and carefully be removed in a precise fashion. Filleting has been historically documented as taking place after death as well as a way to debase the enemy's honor. And typically, skin would be hung in an area to be displayed oh, after that. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. We gotta have a show. Um, When used in the sense of torture with the intention of keeping the individual alive after the fact, small amounts of skin were removed. This would be excruciatingly painful, but would most likely not lead to a fatality in sense. It would be able to be endured through their lifetime. However, from what I found, it was most popularly used as an execution method in which the skin was gradually and generally removed in a way to keep it in one whole piece. Uh, The most common uh, cause of death in fleeing is shock, of course. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. The other ones that rank up there are blood loss hypothermia and infection and I read in one of the articles that I looked at was that there were some cases where the individual had been filleted to a certain extent and then like placed in a holding cell where they would ultimately either succumb to one of the following typically being hypothermia the first one because skin does play a huge role with keeping that internal heat in your body So that was something that I found absolutely disturbing, that if you actually made it through this process to whatever designated point they wanted to fillet you to, you would most likely die of hypothermia, or if they decided to take care of you and try to keep you warm, but not stay off the infection, it could be days until infection took you. Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm. That was something I did think of with, if they were not using that method on the entire body, using it more as a prolonged torture on certain mm-hmm. parts of the body. I was thinking, like, you could only do that for so long before infection would be a super big issue because skin just blocks so many pathogens that, and, oh, it just sounds Or, like, a certain so area bad. of the body where it's, like, it's not predominantly, like, clustered with blood vessels. I hate to say clustered when it comes to that. There's actually a correct term to that. But, like, for example, in your, like, anti-cubicle or, like, your pit areas of your body, so, like, the pits of your elbows, your armpits, the backs of your knees, those are very densely packed with a lot of different blood sources, from blood vessels, capillaries, to even arteries would run through there. That if you avoid those points in specific you might be able to avoid having a large amount of blood loss while still having the desired goal of having an infection take somebody rather than anything else. Ugh. Yeah, I'm not going to cover it today, but there was one method I briefly looked into that that was, like, part of what went into considering how to do it was how do you minimize blood loss to prolong the suffering that mm-hmm. that was thought given to the method. So that's just, oh yeah. my gosh. And then, like, the you would need some sort of 
knowledge of anatomy to know what areas are good or bad for this method to avoid blood loss but it's just like so much knowledge used there's for such so a much that goes thing. in there and it's like how did you gain this knowledge is it like checks and balances did you practice first and you're like oh this person survived longer exactly that's what i was wondering earlier when i read about that a different method where it was like yeah they figured out if they did it this way that it would be prolonged because they wouldn't lose blood as quickly and it was just mm -hmm. like how'd they figure that out how many people did it take to torture different ways to realize oh if i want them to suffer longer this is the best way to do it it just was so disturbing thinking about that yeah it's, it's oh. very disturbing but Absolutely, and, like, even going as far as, like, to say, like, when it comes to the infection rate, it might not even be, like, a huge patch of skin. Like, we've seen infections of people, like, if you crack a tooth and that gets infected, that's enough to kill a person in some cases. It's also enough, like, I have the horrible habit of biting my fingers. Luckily, I keep my hands fairly clean, but if you were a person that doesn't per se and you bite your fingernails or you bite the cuticles around your fingernails that can develop an infection and slowly turn into bigger problems like gangrene or Ugh. other things that cause you to lose or have to have this appendage amputated so there's more to talk about when it comes to that so it couldn't even like been like a small square space and they just went slapped you on the wrist and sent you out and it's like have fun good luck Keep it clean, or don't. That's your choice. Oh, yeah, and I bet... I mean, back in medieval times, uh, there was obviously some knowledge about anatomy and how the human body works and all that. But, I mean, there was not modern medicine and a lot of understanding about how disease worked. I mean, way, way, way back in the day, I mean, I could go on and on about how... I re researched it a while ago about how they believe disease came from miasmas, like basically bad air that you're almost, a, it was almost seemed like a spiritual thing, but basically like they just didn't understand how germs spread so much. They were looking at it more from a superstitious point of view. Um, and that's why you saw a lot of the bloodletting and things like that to treat people. There are people. demons in your blood. Take this Exactly. Cocaine. More <laughs> the, like, you have demons, we need to get the demons out of you kind of stance when it came to providing healthcare for yeah. a while. And so just, like, knowing that and then thinking about that situation of, like, they didn't even, even if you didn't have a huge portion of your body engage in this, like you said, it's like... Yeah, it probably wasn't kept very clean. I'm sure infection just took over super fast. Yep. But like I said in the previous one, there are multiple different cases that this happens throughout medieval Europe, Asia, Africa. Um, but the one that really pulled me close was that first one was a Viking, but that one was actually a hoax. It was a Viking that had pillaged the village... I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but that was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Viking that pillaged, like, England at the time, and it was, like, London, like, in 19, uh, not 19. It was, like, London in 990 AD. So, he ransacked the church, and as a punishment, the locals in London took him, 
flayed him and used his skin to drape across the door. However, in a documentary that I did not watch because I do not have access to BBC, um, it was found that that was actually a cowhide and not human skin oh. was on the door. So I was like, okay, that's not what I want. I want an actual case. So ah. <laughs> I scrolled oh, down a little bit and I came across this one that in 1314 a pair of brothers that were just named as Anne were lovers of the daughter-in-law of King Philip IV of France. They were filleted alive, castrated, beheaded, and their bodies were exposed on a gibbet. And their crime was for basically embarrassing royalty or going against their majesty. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely fucked with the wrong girl. (laughs) Right? I'm like, damn. Oh, man. I didn't see anything that happened with her, per se, probably because Hmm. she's nobility and most of the time. Oh, yeah. You can kind of get away with that. Depends on where you rank. Yep. Anyways, do you have another one for us? Yeah. And actually, quick quick comment on that. You mentioned the castration thing. That was another commonality I saw between a lot of the torture methods Mm -hmm. was... Uh, once they had been tortured for a while, or maybe during the torture before officially executing them, it seemed a common thing often would be castration. Which I'm assume I didn't dig too deeply into that, uh, but my assumption would just be the whole demasculating part of torture. Because, I mean, that was one thing that did come up, was the whole idea that torture isn't just physical, It's all which I'll actually go into a little, this a little bit more in a minute, but it's also mental as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm sure uh, castration has a huge mental impact in addition to just being absolutely agonizing. So, definitely another commonality between a lot of the different torture methods I noticed. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to that demasculinization of a victim. It's... It's something that, unfortunately, and I don't mean to bring it up to today's standards, but it does happen in some cases of murder or homicide to this day. Mm. So We won't go too far into that because I have specific cases that we can delve into that. We're trying to keep it fun this episode. <laughs> as fun as we can when you're talking <laughs> about horrific can. things that have happened to people. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, this next topic I have is one that I learned about uh, a long time ago, actually. It's probably a teenager. Uh, at a renaissance fair I attended a long time ago where they actually had like an exhibit set up about medieval torture. And it was relatively family-friendly. I mean, it wasn't okay for like the little kitties to go into it. But they set it up where like teenagers and probably preteen maybe with parental advisory could go in there <laughs> oh. pausing on that for a second i find it so weird that i learned about medieval torture when i was like in sixth grade oh my god <laughs> 
like sixth or seventh grade. It might have been seventh grade. I think it was when I like transferred middle schools and I came in directly when they were talking about like medieval culture and medieval times. And I was just like, yeah, this is really cool. And then they're like, and today we're going to talk about the pair of anguish. I'm like, the what? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And then we got into mythological creatures and all those. And that was really fun. But yeah, no, I find it interesting that for the most part, anyone that I've talked to that like knows about torture like they figured it out about middle school era and of course we're all kind of like oh my god this is so cool but now looking back on it i'm like god i was a sick kid Uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that was something i thought about too is when i went to this exhibit as i believe a teenager you know i thought it was i actually i might have been it was either it was either early teens or possibly preteen now that i think about it but anyways um yeah, it was something where it was definitely set up, I mean, both for educational purposes, but also for entertainment purposes. And so luckily it wasn't too gory uh, the way they had their exhibit set up. But still, the fact, that was something that occurred to me, was the fact that people could still find that entertaining, you know, walking through an exhibit that's literally talking about the absolutely horrific acts that humans have engaged in with other humans Mm -hmm. and but finding that entertaining and amusing to a certain extent uh that was something i definitely thought about when we were discussing this episode topic of the whole issue of you know if you really think about it this is something truly horrifying but just that level of disconnect of, we, like I have said earlier, we see it in movies and in video games and stuff, and it doesn't feel real because it's not something that we ever worry about facing uh, nowadays, at least um, with the lifestyles that most of us lead. So it's just, I think it's mainly just that mental disconnect again where it's like that would never happen to me so it's a lot easier to see it as more of an entertaining fictional kind of thing and find Mm -hmm. it amusing even though if you really think about it it's not amusing at all (laughs) so that was something that i had to think about and come to terms with when (laughs) researching this was like how fucked up are we to find this amusing when we go to like museums about this and stuff even to go like off of that part too just morbid curiosities that humans have like there are certain cases like in like the 1800s to the early like 1900s that oh god the 1900s i hate that i just said that um i was born in the 1900s re <laughs> anyway like the 1800s to the early 1900s where um people would go to crime scenes of, like, families that had been, like, completely familicited, and they would try to take things from crime scenes as souvenirs, and they'd walk about them, because there was just no control when it came to, like, clean techniques and securing a crime scene. And there are still things that happen to this day. Like, I think there was a guy that posted on Reddit that he had, I want to say, John Wayne Gacy's toilet. Oh my god. Yeah. But we'll get into that later. But yeah, it's just that morbid curiosity. Humans have always had it, and I think they always will. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, because I'll probably talk for (laughs) hours about it if we go down the rabbit hole, but... Yeah, no, that's that. that's definitely something that I think I'd be interested in learning more about. And I don't know if this is something that we'll ever cover, but maybe on my own time I'll dig into it more. But just, like, 
almost like the psychology of the human being and how, like you said, we have this morbid curiosity about certain things. I don't know if it's an evolutionary thing of just, like, that whole concept of... I know in some animals with, like, animal behavior, like, intelligent animals, if they see other animals of the same species that are dead, you know, they'll alarm call, they'll be like, oh my gosh, something's wrong, something's wrong, like, we're all gonna die and evacuate the area. <laughs> and so it's like, but then there's also some cases I've heard of, like, intelligent animals kind of investigating the cause of death and trying to figure out, like, like what is it that I need to avoid in order to survive? That kind of aspect. And so... With humans basically being very intelligent animals, it makes me think about that, too. Is like, is this our way of... And I've heard this about true crime, too. Like, people who are really into true crime. Uh, it was just like, is this our way of studying how to stay alive, basically? Like, evolutionarily, our brain is like, you should pay attention to this because this might be useful information. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god. Oh gosh, Yeah. But yeah, like I said, totally a rabbit hole to like go way far deep down on. So I'm gonna try to pull out of the rabbit hole. But <laughs> no, I'm gonna stay in here. It's cozy. <laughs> anyway, continue on with your topic. I'll come out of Alice's rabbit hole. Let's go. Wonderland was amazing. Uh... A little bit darker than I remember, but yeah. <laughs> Well, we're going to, unfortunately, stay a little dark. <laughs> okay. So uh, we're moving on to rat torture, which is where I was going with that story. Was That was like the one torture method out of all the torture methods in that exhibit that I saw in Ren Renaissance Fair. This one really stuck out to me. I think because of all the torture methods, a lot of the other ones, I think, just like as a teenager or preteen, it was just like, oh, yeah, like... That's uh, amusing. That totally looks like a movie prop. But then when you got to the rat torture exhibit, <laughs> I'll, I mean, I'll describe basically what I saw in just a minute here. <laughs> and so that was a little bit more like disturbing to me as a teenager. Sounds like it traumatized you if it stuck around this long. <laughs> I don't know if I, I'd say I was traumatized. I mean, I haven't had like nightmares about it or anything. And I'm not particularly fearful of rats like I know some people are. Um, I mean, they creeped me out a little bit when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I'm just like, you know what, as long as you're not in my house, we're cool. But, <laughs> anyways, uh, but yeah, this was one I definitely, as soon as we said torture, uh, medieval torture, I was like, yeah, rat torture, I want to talk about that, so here you're we like, go. like, that one's mine! <laughs> <laughs> so I'll start with, uh, there's actually a few different variations of rat torture, so I'm going to start with one that... Uh, it's a little less horrific. <laughs> so this example is from the Tower of London, where apparently they had what was referred to commonly as the Dungeon of Rats. And this was written about during the Elizabethan period. And so prisoners kept down there in the dungeon. Uh, unfortunately, the River Thames would flood occasionally and not only would water flood into the dungeon, but it would bring in rats. And so the, I, this is still pretty horrifying, I should say. <laughs> uh, prisoners in pitch black darkness, probably tied to a wall or restrained in some sort of manner, 
can't see anything and just like hearing the water coming in and hearing like the rats making noises and then like not being able to actually see them coming until feeling them gnawing on the flesh so absolutely terrifying uh and like it's not like uh the, there's some torture techniques i'll probably cover if we do another one of these episodes another time where like you can where uh they would try to put things on the skin to encourage animals or insects to go after the skin but it's not like that was even intended here like this was almost unintentional uh torture that these rats would just come in and go after these people, even though that wasn't necessarily what was intended to happen to them being left in the dungeon. But yeah, so that was one of the more simpler forms of rat torture. Another on the simpler end, uh, if you can call it that, of rat torture <laughs> would involve locking prisoners in a, a very small room. Similar situation, pitch black, tied down. You can hear the rats moving around, and this one was more of a mental torture than anything. They said you know, most of the time in this particular scenario, the rats might not even hurt the individual at all. Like, they might not even bite them at all. Uh, however, they may crawl on the individual, or they will be running around in the dark making noises, scratching at the ground, making little squeaky sounds. And just the whole fact that already a lot of people already are scared of rats or at least find them disgusting since they're often associated with trash or with dirty areas and disease the i just the idea of having rats crawling over them in their sleep or potentially biting them would often just i hate saying drive people somebody mad i don't like using that term but basically it would just really eat away at their mental state envisioning in this pitch black room for just hours and hours and even days on end uh, knowing these rats are going to be crawling over them and potentially harming them so that was more of a, a mental kind of torture than it was a physical kind of torture but now to discuss the actual rat torture that i remember seeing at the exhibit this one's very physical <laughs> So it supposedly originated in ancient Rome and originally was involving a bucket rather than a metal cage. And the metal cage uh, variant started in medieval Germany. But in any case, um, the rough description of rat torture generally is that the victim is tied down and uh, usually the abdomen is cut open. And then rats are placed in a cage on top of the abdomen with the lower part of the cage open so that they uh, have direct access to the abdomen of the victim. And then the cage is heated up either by a fire being built on the other side or some other method to heat up the metal until the rats are basically driven to the point of desperation of trying to escape the heat that they burrow into the flesh beneath. There is few different variations even on this. Uh, and actually, to go back to ancient Romans, I will say really quickly, before it, it turned into this, with the heat factor um, really more making it more intense, torture it did start out with just people getting tied down cut open and then left with rats and then the rats would um even without a heating element would just go ahead and eat flesh 
Uh, however, uh, Roman Emperor Nero also used rats as what was at that time called a justice method on criminals, where they would basically take starved rats and have them eat victims alive. So there's, again, multiple variations of the whole rat torture thing, but that's where it originated and it turned into this whole concept of heating up a cage and driving them down. One of the first actually like written documented uses of this torture method was during the Dutch revolt against the Spanish Habsburgs in the 16th and 17th centuries in which the leader and also master torturer Diederik Sonai Again, I apologize if I mispronounced that. Diederik Sonai uh, would put, again, the starving rats on the sliced belly of the prisoner, except for this time the cage would have a bowl, a ceramic bowl on top, and he would put hot coals into that. So that would be the heating element that he used. And this also led to the metal cage heating up as well, which would end up burning the victim in addition to having uh, the rats engage. And it was... The... Resources I found said they weren't sure if it was lethal torture in all cases because it could definitely be used as just a way to get a confession or be used in interrogation because uh, as soon as somebody sees the rats coming or the coals coming, they're going to panic and respond to the questions very quickly knowing what's coming. And so it was stated this may not have always been used as a lethal form of torture and may have more been used as just a way to absolutely terrify somebody into answering questions or giving a false confession or even a true confession. Uh, however, it was stated there's very few documentations of this torture, likely because of how sadistic it is. Uh, so that was one tiny bright side, is that it doesn't appear that this, this form of torture was used a whole lot. Again, the more simplified versions of it were more common, of just more using fear generated by the rats um, as a form of torture. Uh, or like I said, ancient Romans had more simpler variations they would use. But this particular form, fortunately, was not widely used. However, medieval Germany did have some more other more intense variations as well. They had a rat chair where a victim was tied to a chair and then had the cage actually attached to their face. And then starved rats would be placed into the cage and left there until the victim died as the rats continued to eat away at the flesh of the face over the course of days with no other option of um, anything for the rats to eat. And then they also, uh, in medieval Germany, would cut holes into the victim's abdomen and just simply stuff live rats into the hole as opposed to using the whole cage method. So again, there's some very intense variations and some less intense variations, but lots of different ways to torture people's rats, whether that's uh, just instilling fear in the victim or actually causing uh, physical harm to the victim. Well, <laughs> of all of them, that was one that has definitely, I found, very disturbing. Uh, but of course, the more research I do, the more I find lots of other disturbing torture things. But... <laughs> That was one that stuck with me, though, because of how graphic it was, so. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that's one that stuck with me, too, like, through the years. I think the one 
and it's not going to be discussed today. The one that definitely always got me heavily was the one where they, like, bathe you down with honey and milk, and then they set you out in nature for flies to come pick at you and other insects, rats, whatever it may be. But I, I can't remember where that was commonly used at. Yeah, that was one that I came across today that I didn't do deep a deep dive into. I was thinking about maybe doing a more intense investigation of that another day uh, for one of our follow-up episodes on this topic. But yeah, that one was very horrifying when I came across that one because it was discussing and describing how maggots would end up basically eating the person alive from the inside. Which is absolutely horrifying. <laughs> that was a, a little much for me, especially having worked before uh, with field work where sometimes like chicken legs would be used as an attractant to try to bring animals in so that we could get tracks to as a like a survey method, but then having to go like get rid of the nasty chicken legs that had been left out there for a week and had maggots and all sorts of nasty things in them so like having actually now like witnessed in person how disgusting maggots are like i can't even imagine torture methods using that in a live person that's just that yeah. that's the stuff of nightmares for me right there mm -hmm. i just no, no I, I agree no, with that no, no, yeah no. yeah <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get into that in my full my full episode next week. Oh, though. goody. Something to look forward to. Something to look Ugh. forward to. Some forensic entomology for y'all. Oh, but until then, I have quite a t twisted torture method that was used Ooh. by the Scandinavians or Vikings. Have you ever heard of something called the blood eagle? Not before today, I haven't. <laughs> I came across it, it mentioned when I was looking up uh, medieval torture devices and tactics to try to decide which ones I want to pick out. But yeah, that was not one that I actually clicked on and read more about. So heard the name as of today, but don't know anything about it. <laughs> so probably its most popular depiction modern day, like, media is that of the TV show Vikings. Um, just as a disclaimer, TV does not mean reality. Um, but I had heard of this method probably in high school with doing research, but that was mainly because like I was doing research actually on my Norwegian heritage. And I had just been, like, curious, and I was doing torture methods for another class, and that came up, and I was like, what the hell is this? So, the stuff of nightmares, mind you, for a teenager, <laughs> is what that is. But, we'll go ahead and get started. So, this is a torturous method of execution used during the age of the Vikings, presumably around the 10th century. However, there's cases between, like, 800 AD all the way up to like the 1300 80s so in that range and it's not entirely sure if it's 100% been used or if it was just some really sick depiction because that could be what happened because there were not necessarily like hieroglyphics but there are like drawings of this occurring 
but we're gonna go over anyway just because it might have happened and I find it very interesting and it's haunted my nightmares for years so now it gets to haunt yours too oh great <laughs> thanks for sharing you're welcome <laughs> this torture took place in several stages the first step would be binding and placing the individual into a prone position face down. Ooh, I already don't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next, the shape of an eagle with outstretched wings would be cut into the back. From there, the skin that the eagle had been carved into would be peeled back, and the ribs of the individual would be hacked from the spine... With the use of an axe. Oh, gosh. One by one, each of the bones would be pulled outward with the skin to create a pair of wings. The individual at this point would still be alive, but in extreme agony. And the torturer, or the executioner in this instance, would proceed with the use of a saline stimulant. Yeah, your eyes just got really wide, and that's kind of what I was hoping for there. Because my eyes got really wide, and I was like, excuse me? Um, What I mean when I say saline stimulant is that salt would literally be rubbed into the wound. And I mean literally. Like, they would go over what they had pulled out and go into the cavity, too. Because they've now created space. Oh, gosh. After a duration of letting, like, that salt sit in, the final step of the individual's torture would be taking the exposed lungs, pulling them through the back, and spreading them over the wings to create a final visual offering to witnesses of a bird-like flapping as the individual died. Ugh, that's some serious traumatics in a very intense and disturbing Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. So, this, like I said, it might be embellished for TV like you've said previously too, but if it has happened, that's absolutely terrifying to me, and it makes my back itch. No. <laughs> it makes it tingle and it makes it itch and I don't like it. Oh. Um, so possible victims of this death were King Alla of Northumbria, who was said to have met his unpleasant fate in 1867 after he had taken Ragnar Lothbrok, which his name literally translates to Ragnar Harry Breaches, which really got a giggle out of me this afternoon. <laughs> um, uh. Took him captive and threw him into a pit of vipers. To uh. which Ragnar's son, Ivar the Boneless, who is the most feared Viking of that time period, reenacted his revenge onto Al. Allah, after capturing him, and went forward with doing a blood eagle. Other people that may have been subject to this are Halfdan, son of Harald Finehair, king of Norway, the Irish king Magil, I don't really know how to pronounce that, of Munster, 
and in some other historical interpretations, Edmund the Martyr may have also suffered the same fate as well. However, with some problems to these claims is that there are other documentations of these people dying in separate ways outside of Allah, so that leaves him as being the only one to possibly have endured the Blood Eagle. Mm. Outside of, like, other people, per se, that aren't of high higher ranking. Um, it is thought, though, that the Blood Eagle might have been viewed as a sacrifice to victory, in the Norse name of Allfather Othan. And I've also heard tale, but I could not find it in this article. I could not find it for the life of me. But in the use of a sacrifice, if it was coming from somebody of Norse descent or of that Norwegian paganism, it was seen that if you screamed during this, you would be rejected from the gates of Valhalla. Gosh, yeah. like add that on top of it, so it's like that mental mind game mm -hmm. of now you're basically placing the religious views of the person upon them of if you don't basically in modern day terms, if you don't take this like a man, like you're not gonna go to <laughs> go to the the place you you want to go after mm -hmm. death. Like, oh, that's that's horrifying. Not only are you putting incredible physical torture upon them you're also now placing that upon them like oh oh my gosh it, it's intense i'm like oh that's my God. super intense i oh. ended up calling my dad i'm like the norse were freaking crazy and he's like that's why we had berserkers so i'm like Okay, that's very true, which if you don't know what a Norwegian berserker is, literally, and I think it's documented in history, this is just off the top of my head, but when the Romans tried to invade Europe, berserkers would literally run at the Roman, like, army coming on naked, <laughs> ready to fight. Oh my god. <laughs> they are, it's insane. It's crazy. Uh... <laughs> oh man. Like I said, I don't have historical like documentation in front of me. I don't have sources for that. But those are things that I've heard been passed down through my family tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite interesting. <laughs> oh my goodness. Damn. Yeah, that's... That's really something of nightmares. Hope it doesn't haunt me tonight. <laughs> yeah, go watch go watch some anime or something after this. <laughs> Have a glass of wine. That's probably what I'm going to do. But I mean, this has been haunting me for years, so it's probably still going to come up. <laughs> yeah, I'm still just envisioning the end there. Just, oh, okay. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, if you, if you want to see a depiction of it, there are, like, three or four scenes in the show Vikings from HBO, I believe, Ooh. that actually do do the historical representation of a blood eagle. Oh. Although I don't think they go as far as to do the final step where it's like they take the lungs out and they hang them over the wings. That's what I was envisioning in my head of the most horrific part was that yeah. bit. Though that, that does bring up a point I was thinking about is another commonality when I was looking at a bunch of different torture methods was that uh, as a way to separate the public from 
<sighs> What's the word? I don't know a good way to put it. Obviously, the public knew what was happening. Like, they understood what was happening. But to provide that extra layer of separation to keep them, I guess you could say, more comfortable with it happening, if that's even a good way to put it, uh, that a lot of these tactics that would do public torture tried to do it in a way that would somehow be amusing or mask the torture so that it wasn't as apparent how much pain that the victim was in. Or exactly what was happening to the victim, um, whether that would mean putting some sort of very barrier, excuse me, between the victim and the public, so that the the public cannot actually see what is happening, or um, also a barrier between their screams, like in ca like in the case of the uh, words are escaping me, the Iron Maiden. In the case of the Iron Maiden earlier, one thing I did read about uh, that was that it was thick enough that once it was closed, you couldn't hear the screams of the person inside. Mm -hmm. So just all sorts of different things, but even just, like, I would read certain things about how they were like, oh, yeah, and it was done in this manner to be entertaining for the public, basically. And so... Brazen bull, the, how when oh, the person yeah, would be yeah. screaming, it would come out as a cow moo. Exactly. Things like that. And so the whole, like, end description you had there of the lungs almost flapping like a bird a bird's wings it's mm -hmm. like that comes across to me as another variation of that concept of if it's somehow sickly amusing in a way that people can disconnect from the reality of what is actually happening what they're watching yeah, basically, if there's anything they can do to make people not think that hard about what is actually happening in front of them, it's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but even on, I also forgot to mention, the typical cause of death with a blood eagle was either asphyxiation, shock, or blood loss. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes so, sense. Hopefully by the time that the lungs were actually, like, removed from the body the individual would be dead from blood loss or shock however there are cases where it's like asphyxiating and that's where you get the rapid breathing of the lungs and the shock coming in factor and that's what's making those like flap in that sense too yeah that's that's a way to go not one i ever would have imagined on my own <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> Yeah, no, when I saw that earlier today, I was like, I'm doing that one, and I swear to God, if Rhi tries to do it, I will fight her for it. <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <sighs> well, that is all I have for today. Did you have anything else that you wanted to throw in here for today before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think that's it. Great. Awesome. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed the episode today as much as you can. <laughs> um, I mean, no. it was a little bit lighter contrary to what we do. There's, there's an easy disconnect because it's historical. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so... Like I said earlier, and like Katie said, this is often the stuff of movies and of TV shows, so you've probably already seen a lot of these uh, in action in, in some 
medieval times type entertainment already. So here's some actual history and descriptions behind them and uh, some hopefully real life cases uh, since we don't always have written records but supposedly real life cases of some of these being used historically so we hope you found it interesting and hopefully entertaining and that this is if this is something that you liked and you want to see more of definitely let us know we can make this more of a side series where every now and then we'll pop in with one of these episodes and do a few more different torture methods um but yeah let us know what you think you can always email us at hauntingcasespodcast at gmail.com um, and follow us on social media at Haunting Cases Podcast. On everything but Twitter. <laughs> on everything but Twitter. <laughs> it's just yeah. Haunting Cases over on Twitter. I was like, your face said it, and you're like, hmm, there's something about that that I need to, <laughs> I need to mention. And then you just kept going. I'm like, nope, Twitter. <laughs> Don't forget Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Twitter's got to make our life hard. <laughs> it is. It's okay. We might actually like go into a position where we just do a blurp excerpt of this and just be like, yeah, that's how it works. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, be sure to follow us on all the social medias and subscribe. Some little words. Be sure to follow us on all the social medias and subscribe and rate us on whatever podcasting app you're listening on whether that's spotify or apple podcasts or google podcasts or stitcher we love you all just be sure to subscribe and rate us (laughs) yes please (laughs) that helps us get an idea of how many people we actually have listening to and what we can do better oh yeah we always are happy to hear feedback as well so if you ever have any suggestions whether that's topic suggestions of what you want to hear more about Um, Or other suggestions of things that you think we could do better or or different ideas, anything. We're always happy to hear from you. I don't think I have anything else to add other than, are you haunted too?